just to say, I believe in God, or I believe God created this. Um, um, they are training people to dismantle you if that's what you say. Okay, so we need to have a, a stout intellectual defense and have answers, both biblical and, and uh, intellectual answers to questions. Otherwise, I fear for the faith of our children. Because there is a play by Bill Nye, the science guy we heard last week, uh, and people all over the world, the professors, the, the universities, uh, public education, all those things are now just taking down all pretenses of fairness and have gone into full-time ridicule. So we need to work on this. Now, in our class, we're going to move on from creation at some point, but we are going to spend an inordinate amount of time studying creation. We're going to talk about it for a long time because this is the issue. So the walk center is going to come in just a moment um, and start us off tonight and, and say whatever uh, he's got on his mind. We're not real tightly coordinated, okay? He's going to speak a while, I'm going to speak a while. What we say may be connected, it may be disconnected, but we're going to, it's a uh, kind of a system we're trying out. Also, at the, at the first of the year, once we pick the class up again, we're going to maybe tweak our schedule a little bit and, and maybe do two-hour sessions once a month or something like that instead of every week, and maybe more people could could keep continuity if we did that. Anyway, I wanted to, when Brother Walkster and I were talking about having the class, uh, we, we both agreed that we want to make this not just um, uh, informational or where we just give out information. Really, we'd like for this to be spiritual, okay? Uh, we'd really like for this to be uh, a spiritual experience. Come right on in. And uh, so we're going to open... What? Uh, we're going to open prayer, and I really want us to, and don't just come and gather information, but let, let's try to, to build our spiritual uh, experience as we do this, all right? Amen. Could you lift up your hands and your hearts to the Lord right now and say, Father, we love you, we bless you, we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight, Lord, to explore your word in depth. Lord, and I pray that you give us grace and knowledge, Lord, and understanding, Lord. Hallelujah, God, as we search out your word, Lord, as we discuss the things that face us today, give us the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom, Lord God, to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, Lord. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brother Walsh, come right now. Amen. Uh, let me start off by saying happy birthday, Pastor Whitley. Today is actually his birthday. So that's totally awesome. He gets to spend it with us on this glorious beautiful San Diego type of day. <laughs> uh, reading again uh, our key verse from Jude 3, and uh, let's read it together. Ready to begin. Beloved, I gain all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and to urge you earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Does anybody out there know who Jude was? James' brother. James' brother. So the one that wrote the epistle of James, of James, is the brother of Jude. They're both the half-brothers of Jesus Christ. Yes. So kind of a good way of looking at that. And you'll notice that the sense of urgency that he has in this verse. 
He talks about that it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you earnestly contend for the faith. So he's not just sort of saying you need to contend for it, but as he uses words like needful and exhort and earnestly, you can tell how passionately he feels about contending for the faith right. in the first century. And how much more should we feel after now 2,000 years should we feel the need to earnestly contend for the faith? And as we talked about last week, we talked a little bit about Mr. Bill Nye, the science guy. And uh, we read a little bit of what he had to say about creationism. Now, he's probably a nice guy. He seems to be a nice guy. cares about children and puppies and all that sort of stuff. But I'm going to take him to task a little tonight on some of the things that he had to say. And the reason, of course, is, is because um, he was the one that kind of had the fighting words, okay? And uh, I don't mean fist fighting, <clears throat> but uh, just sort of earnestly contend for the faith or a stout defense of why he's wrong. So I'm going to talk to you a little while tonight on why Bill Nye's argument against creationism is inaccurate historically, scientifically, and logically. Three areas that I want to hit home with you. Did anybody bring that uh, particular article or handout? You're going to see some of the, some of the things that, uh, that uh, he said, and then we're going to compare them to the facts that we know. Is that all right? All right. So, uh, <clears throat> and again, I understand that this is not a debate. It's somewhat one-sided, and I'm going to have an opportunity for the next half hour to kind of beat him up just a little bit. But, as I said, he's the one that started it. The first thing that we see here is historically inaccurate statements that Mr. Bill Nye said. The science guy. Obviously, he's not a history guy because he got a lot of these wrong. The first one that we would see is this statement right here. The denial of evolution is unique to the United States. What would that imply to you, just hearing that? A denial of, of evolution is unique to the United States. What would that mean for the rest of the world? That basically all around the world, everybody else, 100% lockstep, is in total agreement with the theory of evolution. How many with me so far? And that's what it seems to imply. And the people that would deny it are only found in the United States. That's what he's saying. Is that correct? Right. Did I misunderstand that? All right. I did a little study on uh, Wikipedia on Islamic views of, of evolution. That's the website if you want to check that out. And you'll notice what it has to say. In modern times, some Muslims have rejected evolution and the teaching is banned in some countries. Not a school, not a city, not a state, not a province, but the entire country. It is banned. He goes on to say in this article, a 2007 study, that's pretty current for things like this, that's five years. Religious patterns have found that only 8% of Egyptians, 11% of Malaysians, 14% of Pakistanis, 16% of Indonesians, 22% of Turks agree that Darwin's theory of evolution is probably or most certainly true. So, Again, let's do our statistics here. If 8% of Egyptians believe that Darwin's theory is 
probably or most certainly true. What does that mean on the flip side? 92% of Egyptians have rejected evolution. Now, do you think we should probably, I have an idea, why don't we translate this video to Arabic and shoot this over to Egypt and see how they like that idea. Just joking, Bill, just joking. I'm not gonna do it, because I'm Tim Walkstetter, the nice guy. Okay, <laughs> 2006 reported about 25% of Turkish adults agreed that human beings evolved from earlier animal species. Again, if we, I wouldn't say this to anybody outside this room or on video, but the idea of saying that the Prophet Muhammad was descended from a fish may be offensive <laughs> to folks. Just think. Uh, people still move to the United States, and that's largely because of the intellectual capital that we have, the general understanding of science. Now, again, historically, I don't think that's the number one reason people have moved to the United States. I think that there are other reasons that we can talk about. All right? Now, I will give you this. For some reason, he has the ability of seeing that we're special, but he doesn't put that together with our, our love of intellectual liberty. You'll see that what is unique in the United States, and this is pretty much hands down, I think we can all be in agreement with this, is the relationship between our religious freedom, our economic freedoms, and our scientific advancements. That they all sort of come into play. And that we are a land that loves debate and dialogue and that type of competition. You know, we have a system, we decided very early on that we were going to reward competition, right, through our patent system. Right. It's a genius idea. Basically, we will protect the person's intellectual property that way. Other nations don't have that. It's one of the reasons why they're so stymied, even scientifically. But part of that, of course, is based upon our religious principles as well. In fact, what we can see is that a large portion of this is due to the very Judeo-Christian heritage that Mr. Nye somewhat mocks. That kind of makes me a little upset with you. Mr. Bill Nye, the nice, not-so-nice guy. Okay? Uh, let me give you an example here. So this is a tangible example of kind of what I'm talking about. There are two different views that we can look at. And I chose here this document signed on the July the 4th, 1776. Does anybody know what that one would be? That's the Declaration of Independence, right? And then, of course, Origin of Species. Uh -huh. a complete Origin of Species, even with this wonderful graphic, which, by the way, this is not described at all in the Origin of Species. That's in his next book, the Ascent of Man. But, uh, get ahead of myself. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By the way, on a little political note, I noticed that during the Democratic Convention, Mr. Obama found those words that earlier, when he had said this passage before, he left out, endowed by their creator, 
he was very strong in saying it at that Democratic convention after they kind of waffled on the whole God idea. But you'll notice he, he did come through. Home run. Good job, Mr. Obama. But you'll see here, this is where we come from. All right? This is what is considered our creed. That's what Dr. King called it. Uh, Mr. Lincoln referred to this in his Gettysburg Address. As opposed to, of course, the origin of species, which full title is, and was for six printings. They changed it on the seventh printing. On the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle of life. Now let me ask you this question as we grapple with things like racism. Okay? All men are created equal or the preservation of favored races. Which one smacks of more politically incorrect racism? Yeah, that's what I thought too. That, of course, is one of the things that America is unique because we believe that all men are created equal. And really, you have a tough time explaining why racism is wrong if you believe with this and why you would accept that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness idea that Mr. Jefferson talked about. By the way, I thought this was interesting. Notice again the complete and fully illustrated version, again with a, an illustration that should not appear in this book, but it looks so good, doesn't it? The whole ascent of man. You won't find this anywhere in any type of, of uh, real, you know, it's not like you find these images laid out uh, in the fossil record. They're put together in such a way to lead you to understanding from this, from this monkey to this man. But everything is supposed to be complete except for, that's right, the title of the book. The title of the book is not complete. Maybe because it's a tad embarrassing anymore. All right. Uh, how about this? When you have a portion of the population that doesn't believe that, it really holds everybody back. Really. To which I would ask, really? Really? holds everybody back. The belief in a creator holds people back. Uh, I didn't have the time to do all of this, to get into all of these. And again, as far as you're concerned, and I worked hard to get this slide together for you, but these are disciplines that were created by people that believed in a creator. Whether we're talking about gas dynamics by Boyle, Boyle's Law, or we're talking about genetics by Gregor Mendel. If you've ever studied genetics at all, you've heard of Mendel and his experiments with peas. Or you're talking about hydraulics with Leonardo da Vinci or Matthew Mori, the pathfinder of the seas. You're going to find all of these. These guys agreed with the idea of a creator. And they were actually able, I know Mr. Bill Nye, I know that you know you can take vinegar and baking soda and you put it in a bottle and it explodes, and that's really cool. But these guys were actually able to take their belief in a creator God and actually harness the power of this planet. Let's talk about a couple of them specifically. Anybody know who this guy is? Hint, he's French. 
hint, his name has to do something to do with milk. Louis Pasteur. Pasteur is, of course, the one that comes up with the germ theory. Okay, the idea that there are germs that are in things like this bottle of water. That one way that I would have to, of course, you know, slow down the germs getting in my body is boil the water. So that's why they do that with milk. They pasteurize things. That's this idea. Of course, the bigger concept that he had was vaccines. He was a person who was really strong in vaccines. How about this guy? It says antiseptic. Does anybody know who developed antiseptic? Yeah. Joseph Lister, Englishman. That's why we call it Listerine. It's antiseptic, the idea of killing these germs. Before these two men came along, it was not uncommon for doctors not even to bother washing their hands. After going from dead bodies to delivering babies, not even bother washing their hands until these two God-fearing men came in long. Michael Faraday, basically the, the father of the electric generator. We have lights and different things like that. Uh, electromagnets and all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, Isaac Newton, dealing with optics, other things. You all uh, maybe heard of or taken calculus. When he was going to do some of his mathematical uh, ideas, he realized that there was not a mathematical process in place to do some of them, so he created calculus so he could do the math. Holding us back. Hello? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's pretty good. In fact, Time Magazine named him the number one scientist of the last thousand years. <laughs> Bam. Bingo. Holding us back, Mr. Nye. <laughs> really. <laughs> Not to belabor the point, uh, but we see people that uh, can, or we need people that can, that can, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. So eloquent. I don't know how in the world I can possibly take on a person that eloquent. How about things like this? Whether we're talking about St. Paul's Cathedral in London or done by Michelangelo there in Rome. I'll pick that one. That's the Dom there in Cologne, Germany. How about this one right there? What kind of church is that? That's right. That's not a church. That's a hospital. Yeah. Baptist hospital down there. Yeah, we're in charge of that too. Sorry. That's right. When was the last time I went to a hospital that was dedicated to Charles Darwin? I can't. Let me see. There's one over in... Uh, well, survival of the fittest. I guess you don't have hospitals for people like that. <laughs> oh, that's right. Again, belaboring my point one more time. Uh, whether we're talking about Blaise Pascal, if you want a devotional that will rock your world, read what the, the developer of the barometer had to say, Blaise Pascal. He will, he will stir you up. He will stir you up. Uh, again, all of these different things, whether we're talking about transatlantic cables or we're talking about uh, reflecting telescopes, and we're talking about the discovery of inert gases, all of these done from those that believed in a creator. So I think, it's my own personal opinion, I think I win that one. That idea that he is wrong historically. Uh, let's go to his forte. He is Bill Nye, the science guy. And so he's supposed to know his science really well. 
Now, we don't have all the time to get into all the science of what he talked about, particularly from a biblical standpoint, but let's just talk about that whole theory there for a second. There's a problem, of course. Evolution is the fundamental idea of all life science. Well, there's a problem with that. And that, of course, is any time we talk about origin science. And what I mean by origin science is, <coughs> where do we come from? And somebody said, well, I'm from Indianapolis. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean the whole human species. Where did we come from? And, of course, if we keep asking that question, where did that come, where did that come from, where did that come from, you actually go all the way back until there was no life, and then comes life which, of course, is a scientific fact that that's impossible. Life must come from life, right? The law of biogenesis, that's one of the stated laws that we could talk about. But because any origin science, whether we're talking about creation, or we're talking about evolution, or we're talking about other versions of creation that would have uh, man being made from mud, like Islam or some of these other ideas, they're not observable. Well, I saw a documentary about moths. I'm talking about real change. Not from light moths to dark moths, but I'm talking about from like moths to kittens. Okay? Repeatable, it's not going to happen again. Or verifiable, because I can't repeat or observe it. I can't really show that it's going on. Really, these things function more like a, like a philosophy, if you understand what I'm saying. It's the way I look at the world. I look at Chase, and I either see the image of God, or I see an accident. <laughs> I see purpose, eternal purpose, or I see meaninglessness. Sometimes both. Just joking. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so you 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 have this you have this idea. Let's see what other guys would say about this. And again, I'll throw a lot of this stuff at you. These are, these are folks, Gould, of course, was one of the, the big time hammers there at Harvard for a while. He's passed on now. So obviously he's a creationist now. <coughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> the absence of fossil evidence for the intermediary stages between major transition in organic design Indeed, our inability, even in our imagination, to construct functional intermediates in many cases has been a persistent and nagging problem for the gradualist accounts of evolution. You'll actually notice that he was writing this in what's called the hopeful monster theory, what we call punctuated equilibrium. In other words, there have to be these huge gaps because theoretically, if we're, let's take letters. If I'm having a letter that goes all the way from an A to make it into a Z, I'm going to have 20, 24 characters between those two. How many with me so far yeah. as a transition? I should actually have a flood of transitional form much more than I actually find the forms themselves with me so far. Right. So in other words, if I'm going from whales come from cows in the evolutionist model. Okay, Whales come from cows. I should have all kinds of transitional forms between those two. Guess what? I don't have any. All right, so Gould is basically saying, that's a problem. And so he would rather believe in punctuated equilibrium. 
that life finds a way. That sounds so beautiful. How about this? The chance that higher life forms might have emerged in this way is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. What kind of crackpot said that? <coughs> Sir Frederick Hoyle said that. Yeah, he was the professor of astronomy at Cambridge <coughs> University. The 747 idea. The explosion in a print factory produced in the Encyclopedia Britannica. All of those sort of ideas, yeah. But why does he say that? Because he knows so much about it. This is a long one. The entire hominid collection known today would barely cover a billiard table. In other words, we took all of the things they refer to as hominids, or these transitional forms between monkey and mint. Okay? We took all of these things, we put them on a table, they fit on a table like this. Okay? The collection is so tantalizing, incomplete, and the specimens themselves often so fragmented and inconclusive that more can be said about what's missing than about what's present. They go on to say, ever since Darwin's work inspired the notion that fossils linking modern man and existing ancestors would provide the most conclusive proof of human evolution, preconceptions have led evidence by the nose in the study of fossil man. In other words, what, what are they saying? They're wanting to find it. We've got to find it. Yes. We've got to find it. We've got to prove them wrong. We're going to throw all kinds of money at them. I work for National Geographic. It's a nonprofit organization. All the money coming in is there to help prove evolution exists. Billions of dollars have went into simply proving. So they're digging in this. Let's find it. We, we found a tooth. Look, it's a tooth. We found it. It's here. We found it. Let's put it on the table. It's awesome. It's a tooth. It proves nothing. And many times, they have jumped to the conclusion prematurely. National Geographic, you may remember a few years ago, had evidence. Within a couple of months, they had to roll that back. Whoops, we blew it. Let me give you another example of what I'm talking about here. Five million year old piece of bone that was thought to be the collarbone of a human-like creature was actually part of a dolphin rib. <laughs> We found it. We found it. And then some, you know, person dealing with a dolphin. That's a dolphin rib. Oh, why'd you have to tell us that? He puts the incident on par with other embarrassing faux pas by fossil hunters, such as the fossils, uh, pig, fossil pig's tooth that was cited in the very early man of Piltdown. They found this pig's tooth. We found it. We found it. It's, it's down man. They, they created this whole thing only to discover more parts of it that fit into the jaw of an ancient pig. Yeah, that's complimentary. Uh, the jaw of an orangutan and the skull of modern man that were claimed to be the earliest Englishman. The problem with a lot of anthropo anthropologists is that they want so much to find a hominid that any scrap of bones becomes a hominid bone. We're desperate. We need it. We need a fix. We need it now. We add that we would, uh, it would be
be all too easy to object the mutations. Okay, now stop and think about this for a second, because what you're talking about with evolution is that basically birth defects become positive. Alright? Whenever they talk about mutations, that they're basically birth defects and they have to be positive. Mutations, okay, uh, have no evolutionary effect because they are limited by natural selection. Now, again, we could talk about specific examples. As a rat becomes a bat, you know, a bat flies with their, with their wrists and their wings or their fingers, so they go like this. They believe at one point in time they were rats with really, really long hands crawling around. Probably not the most capable of surviving. Lethal mutations are effectively eliminated, but others persist as alleles. Mutants are present within every population from bacteria to man, there's no doubt about it. But for the evolutionist, the essential lies uh, where else? In the fact that mutations do not coincide with evolution. In other words, as a mutation comes, right, all of these mutations have to be good, better, best. Never a step backward. Okay? Which I believe it does exist, the whole idea of mutants and, and moving forward. I think that's called X-Men. That's what I've heard. Somebody <laughs> told me about it once. Sister Walkster told me about that. Intelligent layman has long suspected circular reason in the use of rocks to date fossils and fossils to date rocks. Again, the whole idea of circular reasoning basically means you date the rocks by the fossils, you date the fossils by the rocks. It's found in a certain layer, circular reasoning. If you catch it, you can stop it. Scientists who go about teaching that evolution is a fact of life are great condemn, and the story that they are telling may be the greatest hoax ever. In explaining evolution, we do not have one iota of fact against some crackpot who happens to be on the Atomic Energy Commission in 1959. Yeah. So you see here that even the scientific community are not in lockstep with Mr. Mr. Bill Nye. So let me just say this, this quote. As my old professor Carl Sagan said, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. In love with what? The idea of survival of the fittest? And the idea of the idea of dog eat dog? That's a beautiful thing. Now, to me, again, when I couple a philosophy with the idea of love and veneration, yeah, I'm sorry. I hate to be this one to, to break it to you. But really what I see is that that functions more like a religion. Now again, You'll probably have a heart attack if he ever hears me say it. But you sound like a like a Bible thumper without a Bible. But with the origin of species thumping on it. Accepted by faith. <coughs> uh, let me just go ahead and finish up here. Logically inaccurate. What do I mean by that? Well, that means that basically not really giving us an opportunity to really debate and discuss this in any way, shape, or form. Notice this. Your worldview just becomes
crazy, just untenable, itself inconsistent. When you start playing the crazy card with anybody, you basically cut off all means of communication. I don't want to debate and discuss with you because you are crazy. Uh, I like this. If you want to deny evolution and live in your world, your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. How demeaning. Uh, talking down to me like that. Really what he's doing is what? He's building a straw man. Right? right? You know what building a straw man means? That means you make up an argument, you misrepresent what that argument really says, and then you jump up and down on it. And you beat it up. And you act like you're big and you're bad. Okay? The problem is, of course, really what they've done, and you'll notice if you read through his, his little writing, this is what he does. He switches the idea of, of evolution and science. And so what he tries to do is pit those that are religious against science. As if we are anti-science. Do you think we're anti-science? No. I, I don't believe so at all. And again, you can sort of see beating up on this creationist right here. They're flat earthers. They don't believe in science. They don't believe in change. If, the on, if only the creationists had a brain. Kind of a Wizard of Oz movie there. No. What do we believe in? What do we stand up against? 1 Timothy chapter 6. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings. So we're probably not going to talk about Bill Nye for the rest of this course. We may not mention this name at all because we have to avoid it. We need to address it. Once we've done that, and opposition of science falsely so-called. In other words, puts on a white lab coat, hangs a degree on the wall, now all of a sudden he becomes the expert on everything, and he can tell you how to raise your kids, and for heaven's sake, don't expose them to that horrible idea that they were made in the image of God. We would rather tell them that their great-grandmother was a government, that type of thing. Which some professing have erred from the faith. So even back then, Paul's saying, there are people that are going to introduce science Right? Or science falsely so called. The great experts, the Greeks, the Romans, they had scientific ideas too. They were crazy. We know that. <clears throat> so, lastly, this pastor's coming. If I get this changed. There you go. So, once in a while, I get people that really are, that claim they don't believe evolution. And my response generally is, well, why not? Really? Why not? Then, of course, he concludes, it's just a really a hard thing. It's really a hard thing, you know. In a couple of centuries, that worldview, I'm sure, will be, it just won't exist. There's no evidence for it. You know what I, I call that, just to be honest with you? I basically would call that... Um, I get it there. There you go. The bully in the classroom. Let's not debate. 
Don't talk to me. Don't ask me any questions. How dare you look at me like that? I'm right all the time. Besides, your worldview won't exist. I know your worldview is thousands of years old. Mine's only 150 years old. But I have the ability of foretelling prophecy, even though I don't believe in prophecy, but you do. The bully in the classroom. And I, Mr. Nye, you're too nice of a guy as well as the science guy to fall. Pastor's coming right now. God bless you. Give him a big hand. That's so good. Well, uh, all of that information is incredible. Um, it's almost impossible for me not to comment on uh, virtually every slide he had up there. But the, the, the thing that I've always said, uh, the, the intermediate uh, species, the, the things between the horse and the giraffe, of all the horses and all the giraffes, but there's nothing in between. Uh, that, is, that is epidemic in Darwinism. It, that none, none of these intermediate species exist in, and it's just ignored. I'm telling you, I've told my wife for years and years, told my kids, I don't believe it. I don't believe Mr. Knight believes in Darwinism. I don't believe anybody believes it. There, it, is, it is proven false uh, in the fossil record. There is, in what he said about, what, about the, uh, all the evidence fitting on a table, they find one bone, they find a, a, a fragment of a bone somewhere, and they build an entire hominid, they build an entire human monkey-like creature and say, this is the missing link when there is no chain. Okay, anyway, now we're going to switch gears. Now, at some point, folks, since we don't have really a, 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 a curriculum together, we're going to maybe do laps a little bit. At some point, we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to jump into the, like some of the things we talked about last week, into Genesis. And we're going to talk Genesis real hard and heavy. And we're going to make our case. But I think it's very important that we see what is out there and what is constantly being used to intimidate you, just to intimidate you, particularly young people. Young people that do not have a set core of beliefs, you get up there and you you put on the lab coat and the Coke bottle glasses and you speak with such authority that everybody that doesn't believe this is some type of uh, caveman. Uh, we, we are really, really, really close to losing the first domino. Uh, the domino theory is, you know, you can stack up dominoes, you know, from here to here to uh, San Diego. You stack them up, stack them up, and there are world record people set world records with dominoes. It takes, you know, 19 hours for them all to fall. You know, they, they got them stacked up and they go up and they do all these beautiful designs. But you know, the domino theory that all you have to do, no matter how far it does, it's irrelevant. Right now, I've got what, uh, seven or eight dominoes up there. It's irrelevant how many I have up there. Because everybody knows all I got to do is pick that one. And they all go. Um, that's what Genesis is all about. That's why Genesis is the book yes. that gets attacked. Genesis is the book that is mocked and laughed at by, by the intelligentsia in our world. Right. And it's big, not because it's, it's uh, scientifically, historically, uh, archaeologically, or anything else inaccurate. I've, I've said 
For years, you need less and less faith every year to believe the Bible. Right. You used to. You had to have great faith to believe the Word of God. But most of it has been verified. Right. All of those ancient cities that they just assumed never existed, they found them. They found evidence of them. The people that existed back then, all the way back to Abraham, they have found evidence of his existence. Yes. You need less faith today to believe the Word of God than you have ever needed before, and you need more faith today to believe Darwinism than you've ever needed before. Yes. As science progresses, as true science, observation progresses, you need more faith to believe these these massive jumps than you ever needed before and you need less faith we are going to win yes because the truth is on our side yes and all the lab coats and all the universities in the world will not defeat the truth the truth will stand um i want to give you quickly this just something you can we're not going to spend any time on it but brother works if you would uh, uh Get everybody one. This is just a quick run over the book of. Give me one if you would. Uh, this is just a quick rundown of the book of Genesis. You can probably find it in the glossary of your Bible. But um, it's creation, the fall, the first civilization, the flood, dispersion of nations. And by the way, it's chapter one and two is creation. Yeah, everybody get a. to uh, an asset to this church and, and a man of enormous intellect and uh, I am so proud to be sharing in ministry with him. Uh, creation, chapters 1 and 2, the fall, chapter 3. Uh, chapter 4 is the first civilization, the flood, all that crazy flood that only you nitwit Christians believe in. That's not true. People all over the world believe in the flood. People have never seen a Bible believe in a flood theory. But they won't tell you that. Uh, dispersion of nations. Abraham, his, uh, of course, being a key, being the central figure of the Old Testament. Um, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And you see the chapters corresponding to their story. Covers a period of 2,315 years more time than all the other books of the Bible combined. Right. Okay, um, Genesis is, um, and really chapters 1, 2, and I think verses 5 through 9, dealing with the flood, um, explain more of how things got to be the way they are today than all of the books. And the, 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 the. Here's something, too. I may shock you to say that I believe in evolution, because I do. I, I don't believe in Darwinism. Right. Okay, I believe in evolution, but I don't believe in Darwinistic evolution. Right. Uh, everything evolves. We we know about natural selection. We know about selective breeding. Yes. We know that if you want to breed little dogs, uh, you you take small dogs and breed them to each other, and they progressively get smaller and smaller. And yet, before you know it, you have one of these little things that you can carry in your purse. 
Right. Uh, but it's still a dog. Yeah. Uh, you breed all you want to, and it's never going to become a goldfish. Yeah. You know, or it's never going to be a cat. So we we know that environmental uh, conditions cause the evolution of species, not the evolution to species. Right. Uh, if you if you put um, some of us, if you put Brother John, he's fair skinned and red headed. If you put him in the in the Mojave Desert, back you know, and he wasn't wasn't given wasn't given clothing for to, to cover himself, the we fair skinned uh, people would not survive. We'd be the first eaten by the predators because to the dark skinned people with the pigmentation, and so. Uh, we eventually, all the light-skinned, fair-skinned people would die often, but they would never become a cow or anything. <laughs> so, environmental conditions, that's fine. Everybody, that's easily understood. So, don't let someone show you, tell you, well, look here, this woodpecker's beak uh, is, is uh, an eighth inch longer uh, when the, the ones that live in this particular part of the world than the one that lives over in this part of the world. And so that proves that they're in the process of evolving into another. Oh, come on! All the short billed yeah. woodpeckers died because they couldn't get at the termite. <laughs> yeah. right. You know? So we can, I believe that. You can breed longer beaks in the woodpeckers, but you can't tear the woodpecker into anything but a woodpecker. Right. See, woodpeckers peck wood. <laughs> now, we've seen... No, no, I saw a documentary one time where they were marveling at the genius of Darwinism. Yeah, Notice I used Darwinism, and they were marveling at Darwinism because it had engineered this bird. They, they did all that, it's a shock absorber in, the, in its head, and it had it, this thing is just so, it's designed to peck wood, and they were marveling. I said, it's a woodpecker! <laughs> we're amazed that woodpeckers peck wood. <laughs> The, the, that design was put there. Yes. It is. It is. It adapts to whatever environment that it is in, but it never becomes anything else. Right. Um, Thomas Huxley. Thomas Huxley uh, was Darwin's. He was known as Darwin's bulldog. Uh, he was born in 1825, and I, I believe he died in, in 1895. Um, he was a I guess the foremost humanist uh, of his of his time, and, and uh, he did more to put Darwinism on the map than Darwin did. Uh, he really became a zealot and um, promoted Darwinism, made it mainstream uh, more than even Darwin did. Um, and he, when Darwinism came, be, began uh, began to gain uh, mainstream popularity, uh, many of the Christians. Decided, oh, we've got to bring we've got to bring Darwinism into scripture or scripture and Darwinism. Intimidation can do that to you. Right. When you feel when someone speaks with so much certainty, someone like the if, if, if this 
goes on long enough, you will see clips of a lot of different people. They speak with such authority, with such certainty, and they dare you. They won't debate you, but they just dare you to think anything else. And when you do that, well, people, uh, it's human nature to say, well, maybe I'm not that certain about what I believe. And so immediately there was a tendency to meld together uh, Jewish scripture and Darwinism, and so you've heard it, most likely there are people who say, oh, I believe in the Bible, but I believe in evolution. You've heard people say that. They won't say Darwinism, but that's what they're talking about. I believe that Darwinism, or evolution, is what God used to create. Have you heard that? No? That is a very popular belief. Now, this thing allows people to hold on to their faith in the face of, of hard cases like this guy. Well, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, I believe, I'm, I'm enlightened. I believe in, in Darwinism. I believe that we, we see the evidence of one species becoming another species. But, you know, I believe God did it. Okay, I, I, I made, laid some scripture out for you here. And I call this, this is not, a, this is not anything that I, this is not a scientific term. But I call it the, Huxley's seduction. Now, I want everybody to read it with me. The Huxley's seduction. You have three pages, front to back, one page, and then the third page. I'll wait for everybody to get it. got an expert. Do you have enough? Okay. All right. He wrote it, Thomas Huxley wrote an essay called The Light, the Light of the Church and science, okay, um, and he, in his essay, The Light of Church and Science, makes, makes me wish I had something really catchy to show you, uh, <laughs> you just have to imagine a picture of Mr. Wesley, I have no idea what he looks like, um, probably looks like a bag of bones right now. <laughs> well... But, but Thomas Huxley addressed this tendency of Christians to want to piggyback on Darwinism. And he rejected that. And he didn't use Darwinism to reject that. He used Scripture. He was not a Jew, nor a Christian, nor religious. He was, he was a humanist, paleontologist early. He, uh, but he, used, he was very well versed. He's more well versed in Scripture than most Christian people ever will be. Okay, and they use scripture. Uh, I don't know if it's if I accurately termed it when I when I termed it the Huxley seduction because he was not espousing piggybacking Christianity. He rejected the Jewish historical scriptures. He rejected Genesis out of hand. Okay, but I I I, I entitled that because that is really Christians want to be accepted. Christian people want to appear intelligent. Christian people may not feel... That's why we're having this class. Yeah. 
We've got to feel qualified to be in this discussion. Yes. To say, well, I want to believe in God, but I'm not equipped to argue with Darwinism. We've got to throw that out. That is the Huxley seduction. That is, that is Darwinism seducing Christianity. Okay? And really, when you accept Darwinism, you, you will find not only in the, in the views of Huxley, but uh, in Scripture, as Huxley would show you. In Scripture, you have denied the Scriptures. You have denied Christ. You've denied, you, obviously, you have denied Genesis. You've denied the flood. You've denied all of the writings of the Old Testament. But you have denied Christ. You've denied his apostles and the writings of his, his apostles. Now, what I want to ask you and point out to you here is that Christ believed right. in Genesis. Yes. And not in an esoteric sense, not in some type of a, a figurative sense. He believed in a literal Genesis. He believed in the literal figures, the names, the places. He spoke of them not in some type of figurative sense, as if they are symbolic right. or parabolic. He spoke of them as if I would speak of, of Brother Waddell, an actual human being, an actual person, and this being an actual place. Christ spoke of that. Now, can you be a Christian and not believe Genesis 1? Well, I can believe in Jesus. I see that all the time. I hear that all the time. Well, these, these stories of the Old Testament, the, the great big flood and Adam and Eve and the tree and the serpent and the mean old devil. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the things he taught. But these things were parables and they were just symbolic to teach us moral lessons. I will show you to, tonight in, in the the remaining time we have, but that is completely untenable and you cannot be maintained intellectually or scripturally. And Huxley won't even let you do it. So, did Jesus believe in Genesis? Let's just read these scriptures uh, along in, in uh, Mark 13, 19. For those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God, this is the words, I should have printed this in red, because these are the words of Christ. The beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Did he believe in a literal Adam? And surely not. That's what he says. Jesus says, But from the beginning of the creation of God made them a male and female. For this cause, man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. Did he? Y'all stay with me a little bit. We're going to put all this together. Did he believe in Cain and Abel? That's just a parable. These two boys were not the first two human beings born on earth. That was a parable. Did Jesus believe? He says, which was the son of Enos. This is in Luke, in Luke chapter 3, which is in the um, genealogy. Uh-oh, I, I mixed that one up. Stay with me. We'll all come together. Go down to Luke chapter 11. Next one down. It says, from the blood of Abel... Under the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So, Jesus believed in an actual man called Abel. Now, right. if there was no Abel, if Abel was just a parable, or if Abel was just made up by some ancient writer, then Jesus was either dishonest or he was a fool. 
Um, I need to put Luke 3, put Luke 3, verse 38, the one above that, put that in the column, did he believe in Adam and Eve? If you read Luke 3 in the genealogies, you will find that Adam is a real person. Yes. In the very genealogy of Jesus, he said, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Yes. He's listing these actual people who actually existed in, and in the gene. That is to say, if Adam didn't exist, and if Seth didn't exist, then Jesus don't exist. Yeah. If you can discount any one of these people in the lineage of Christ, if they are figurative, then Christ had to be figurative. Right. Cannot be a Christian and deny these scriptures. Okay. How about the flood? Surely they didn't believe in that crazy flood thing. I'm a Christian, but I, I don't believe the world actually flooded. That's, again, that's another uh, parable. But, Jesus says, but as the days of Noah were, 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 yeah. so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered into the ark. Jesus believed in a great big boat full of animals. Now, can you believe him if there were no great big boat full of animals? Can you believe him in anything? Because he's either lying to you or he is misled. Either way, you can't trust him. Right. If I'm lying to you, you can't trust me. If I'm so stupid that I'm stating fairy tales as if they were truth, then you can't trust me. Either way, you can't trust me. Right. Can't be a Christian. Genesis, that one domino right there, your enemy and my enemy knows that if they can knock this one down, everything else falls. What about Sodom? Oh, it rained down fire and brimstone out of heaven. My God wouldn't do that. A loving God would not do that to people. Likewise, also in the days of Lot, they didn't eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire. Yeah. Jesus said that. Yeah. Does this sound like he's recounting a fairy tale here? Does it sound like he's recounting history? He says, the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire. Let's forget the fact that they, archaeologically, they, they believe they found Sodom. They found evidence of virtually every detail of the biblical story. Let's forget all of that. I'd say it takes less faith to believe the Bible today than it's ever taken before. Right. But just let me tell you this, you can't believe Jesus. So, the seduction, that, that temptation to go jump on the back of Darwinism and, and try to marry right. faith in the Scripture and belief in Darwinism, it can't be done. Right. It can't be done. All of these things have to be taken literal. All of these things have to be taken as absolute history. All of these stories of the book of Genesis, from the, from the fantastic creation to that flood that everyone mocks. They all have to be to raining fire and brimstone out of heaven. We must accept the book of Genesis or we have no basis for faith. We have no basis for Jesus. If Adam didn't, if a man named Adam did not exist and have a son named Seth who had a son named Eve, if, if those things are not true, then we have no way to get to Christ. Christ is never born. Does that make sense? Yes. What about the apostles? The other writers 
of the New Testament. Because you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not in the New Testament. Another story. Okay? What about the apostles? Ephesians 3. And this is not an exhaustive list, believe me, okay? I, I wrote down some of the uh, references. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which is from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So Paul, the writer of Ephesians, believed, of course, well, you, you take for granted that Paul believed in creation. Okay, but what about some finer points? Did they believe in the crazy Adam and Eve thing? Well, Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Right. Called him by name. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Right. So he believed the whole story. Lock, stock, and barrel. What an idiot. <laughs> but what? You mean to tell me he believes in the whole snake and the tree and all of that? But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds, the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians, believed in the snake. Yeah. Revelation 20, verse 2. And he laid hold on that, this is John writing, this is not... Paul anymore. This is John. He laid hold on that old dragon, out of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So John concurs with the serpent right. theory. Hi. Uh, at a re an hour session last night, we had an equipment failure, and a number of scriptures were omitted from the recording, so I'm going to splice them in right now, if that's okay. Uh, we ended with Revelation 20 and verse 2 at the Berean hour, but uh, there were several verses that were skipped uh, on the recording. The first of those was Romans chapter 5, 12 through 14. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So it refers to the one man by, which, by whom sin entered into the world. So Paul believed in Adam. Uh, in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So in the mind of Paul, Adam was just as real as Moses. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So Adam is just as real as Jesus. So he's just as real as Moses, and he's just as real as Jesus. You can't believe in Moses or Jesus without believing in Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was, a, was made a quickening spirit. Paul, again, 1 Corinthians 15, believed in the literal man, Adam. The entire faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, from the first verse to the 22nd verse, was basically the entirety of the book of Genesis, from Abel all the way through to Joseph. From Abel all the way through to Joseph. Uh, is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. So the writer of Hebrews recognized the book of Genesis in its entirety, even the man Abel. Jude chapter 14, 
the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, it says, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. So here Adam is not only referred to as a real person, but he, even his position uh, in um, his position, as well as Enoch's position in the genealogies is mentioned, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. So Jude believed that Adam was an actual man. Peter, did Peter believe? Second Peter chapter 3, did he believe in Genesis? He says, Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So Peter believed in that crazy flood theory. Um... Second Peter, he writes, and spared not, uh, chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Again, not only did he believe in Noah as an actual person, but identified his place in history, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringeth in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those who uh, that would after should live ungodly. So he believed in the crazy story of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, and it says, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So he believed in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. He believed in the judgment of God. He believed in Noah, the eighth person. Uh, in other words, he didn't just call their name. He, he told you where they were in the lineage. If you want to go find them, they are real people. I, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Most of you probably believe me. You say, why are you telling us these, these people are real? We believe they're real. I will tell you that there is a there's been a movement for a couple hundred for a hundred or so years, particularly of late. The enlightened Christians don't want to be looked at as being, you know, cavemen. Right. Don't want to look at as being flat earthers. And so we go, oh, we we accept Darwinism. We accept that these old stories there were allegories and they were they were symbolic and they didn't have they're not actual history. Well, you cannot believe Jesus, you cannot believe Paul, you cannot believe Peter, you cannot believe Jude, you cannot believe John, you cannot believe the Bible in any way. So, in our stout defense of what we believe, not just the moral and spiritual aspects of Scripture, but the historical and scientific aspects of Scripture must be defended. If you let the historical and scientific aspects of Scripture go, to go off the cliff into allegory, go off the cliff into symbolism, along with it goes your faith in Jesus. Right. Amen. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That, that's a, actually, that's a very good point. It's, you know the little, the little Jesus fish everybody puts on the car, now they have them with little feet. Now that's kind of the... That's kind of the Huxley seduction. I can believe in Jesus and still believe in Don't put one of those in your car. <laughs> Let me say what I said again. If we allow the historic and the scientific, I know the Bible's not a science book, but it states certain principles of time and space and yes. creation and 
it is certain the word science is just another is just another word for knowledge. Right. Exploration. We have got to defend the historic integrity of Scripture. Yes. Amen. The the Huxley seduction is a trick. Right. They say we've got the perfect compromise. You can hold on to your faith and still not be looked at as a knuckle dragger. Right. You can hold on to Jesus and not believe in the flat earth. You can hold on to Jesus and not believe in the crazy flood stuff. But no, you can't. That is a trap and that is a trick. Because once you let go of the historical and scientific integrity of the Scripture, you let go of all parts of the Scripture. It now has no moral or religious or spiritual value. Because it was written by fools or liars. Does that make sense? Yes. 1 John, John writes, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. John, you couldn't believe that. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. John believed that Cain got mad at Abel and killed him. These people really existed. They had names and they had lives. They lived and they died. And this is how it happened historically. Don't, I don't think any of you are struggling with this. But if these people got a hold of you, they would make you struggle with this. Just know that the scientific and historic uh, integrity of Scripture is bound to everything else you believe. If you let go of this one, in any way, it must be defended. If you let go of this one, you're going to lose Jesus. Yes. It's true. Well, I believe in the teachings and the moral teachings of Jesus, but I don't believe in all the others. No, you can't believe in either. Right. A moral man's going to lie to you. A moral man with moral teachings is not so foolish as to say things as if they are fact when they're really just allegory. Jude 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, Ran greedily up there, Balaam, for reward. Harrison gained same course. Cain was real. Abel was real. Noah was real. The flood was real. Adam was real. Eve was real. Yes. Balaam was real. All of these people are real in the eyes of every one of our patriarchs, every one of our writers. Even that great New Testament, everybody wants to hang on to. These people are real. We yes. must defend what they believed. Yes. And Okay. Darwinism is a straw dog. Okay. Darwinism is a paper tiger. It is not defensible. Its only defense is to shut everybody else up. Right. Its only true intellectual defense is there are people that I, I hope you get that DVD because there's no way you can remember all those quotes Brother Washington put up there from all of these learned individuals who basically confess it's indefensible. It is these fossil records have been guided by our preconceptions. We've already determined what we're going to find. All we got to do is dig around here and make it all make sense. We've already determined what the truth is. They're not searching for truth. They're searching for evidence for what they believe, and they're going to yeah. find it if it's a pig's tooth or if it's a dolphin rib. Right. Right. Get that DVD, please, and, and watch it. This is a straw dog. It is not. Right. It, its only tool is, is intimidation. 
So hang on to because when this one goes, you may think you can lose this one, but you can hang on to this one. But you can't. Genesis contains in seed form every truth of Scripture. Right. Sin is introduced. Redemption is introduced. Judgment is introduced. Family is introduced. Marriage is introduced. All society is introduced. Law is introduced. All of these things that we base our whole society on today, they are foundational in the book of Genesis. They develop through the rest of the scripture, but they exist in Genesis. And if you let this one fall, I assure you, that's why our society is caving in. Yeah. Because we've let this one go. Yeah. We don't have a stout defense. Let me see what I, how much time I've got here. Oh! <laughs> I had no time left. Uh, good. Come on, folks. Let's mount a stout defense. Yes. And that's what we're doing here. Uh, so come back next week. Come back next week. Those people who weren't out here, I want them to get DVDs. That's all we can. Uh, stay in touch with everything that's going on. Remember the Huxley seduction. And know that it's a one that you cannot fall for. Let's close your eyes tonight. Once again, let's put all that we've heard tonight into perspective. We're here to defend the truth of His Word, His pure and perfect Word. Almighty, we love you today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that it has value. We thank you, Lord, that you've shown it to us. And we will buy the truth and sell it not. Lord, we ask you, Lord, just to guide our hearts. We ask you to teach us your truth, Lord, So we submit to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight.